Hi, I'm Denise. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, I'm Denise. Um, I, is Roy here? Roy, I want to make amends to him. I've, I have drove this man crazy. I, I, have you ever had a, in your life go through seasons of really bad times? I have, Roy has experienced a great deal of my bad times. My father uh, fell and cracked his pelvis, so I had to cancel out another time. And then somebody reared into me about a month ago. And uh, Roy said, why don't you get a ride? It would feel good for you to do the meeting. And I said, no, I want to stay home and hide. So that, you know, Roy, thank you. I said third time's a charm, so I give my amends to all of you. And um, when I do talk about seasons of bad lucks and good lucks, I am coming out of what I call a bad season. I don't know. Our lives have seasons. We have cycles. And um, and when I talked about my dad breaking his pelvis, two months later, his wife, my mother, died, and we buried her two weeks before Christmas. Um, my year, I mean, it's just like uh, people can't believe that I'm going through the year I'm going through. So, but before I get into recalling everything about that, I need to tell you facts and figures about Denise. Um, I came in this program in 1984, May 23rd. Um, I have lost and maintained 100 pounds off, but I have fluctuated a 50-pound difference within that. So there you go for the facts and figures on that. I came in weighing in this um, somewhere over 325 pounds, and I weigh 220 today. And um, I've been coming back. Um, the one thing I, I, you can really say about me, I am the comeback kid. No matter what, I keep coming back. No matter what happens to me, I keep coming back. Um, if that's the one thing, and the one message I can give you is that you are entitled to always come back. And what really disturbs me, and I'm really into relapse because I have 28 30-day chips, is that people are entitled to come back no matter what, and we should always welcome them. And the day that we don't make them feel welcome, then we have truly failed as a fellowship. So there's my that's my political statement on that, because um, um, when we don't allow that person to come back and feel comfortable and that we judge them, then we've really lost on that factor here. Because if they don't come here, then what is going to happen to them is they just get bigger. They could have their stomach stapled and die from that. And I've had three friends from this program die from stable stomach because they couldn't come back to these meetings because they felt their inventory would be taken. I've only allowed one person to take my inventory, and that's my mother. Nobody else can do it because she did it better than any of you could. And we've buried her, so now we're, we're free at last, so to speak. I know I'm not what the best example this program wants, but it's the best example I can be, and I'm tired of worrying about everybody's opinion of me. So I feel like I've earned my title to be in here. I've earned my seat to be in here. And if I'm a size 16 versus a size 26, kiss my ass if you don't like it. What can I tell you, you know? <laughs> I mean, this is just where I'm at. All right. So anyway, let me tell you, I was raised here. I was raised in this town, not in Brentwood, but right down the road. If you go down Lincoln Avenue and you make a right on Palms, that's my home. And I went to Venice High School, and I am so incredibly grateful not to live in this neck of the woods anymore. I live in Orange County, and I'm really happy to be in a town with wide streets. I was driving here, and I was like, oh, my God. And I, it took me two hours to get here. So, I mean, it's just like, it's you know, it's amazing how this, this area has changed. Everything's changed. But even Orange County has changed. Um, I, um, I'm divorced. I'm a 
parent of a high school graduate from Los Alamitos High School. And uh, when he graduated, I stood up and I said, free at last, free at last. And I had the whole crowd with me yelling, free at last. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And the XN laws just want to, you know, they just hate me. They just hate me. But, you know, I've lived with this guy for 18 years, and I was glad to see him go. You know, I mean, get there. And I said to him, don't think of me as your mother. Think of me as your roommate. Don't I like that, don't you? And I said, let me know when you have cleared out the laundry. You know, when you've finished, and then I'll do mine. So, I mean, a lot of things are in the dynamics of my son and I are changing. And um, so, I mean, that has really been the blessing. And it was a tough year for us, having my mother, you know, my mom pass away. She was uh, the ultimate compulsive reader. Um, she had two bouts of cancer in the last couple of years, and then she blew an ulcer and decided to die. And my mother took about eight months, but she managed to die. And she was a person who lost 90 pounds. And my mother was over 300 pounds. And I'll tell you what, she was determined to die because this was a woman who would eat anything that you gave her. Because, you know, the people in China were dying. You know, so we always had to save the people in China. I mean, down here in Venice, you know, I was always, I, I still have that need to save everybody in China. And, you know, and I dedicate this side of the ass to the Wong brothers and then this ass, side of my ass to the, you know, the Russians who also were starving. So, I mean, I've always been saving the world one way or the other with food. And, and I also come from that generation of parents that, um, I mean, it was terrific. I come from a, a generation of parents who um, were rationed, basically. World War II did that to them. And also the Depression. And both my parents were poor to begin with. And then, so for them to buy their their house by the beach, because my mom went to live by the beach. She was from Texas. She bought that house with the palm trees near the beach, and she fried everything she could in a cast iron skillet. My mother had the largest collection of cast iron skillets. So not only was the pantry supposed to be full, but success meant food, success for my mother, and love. Love was a very big thing. That was part of her Texas upbringing. Boy, you, you know, and everything had gravy. Everything was fried. And, you know, it's interesting. Everybody talks about white sugar as being an issue. It's not an issue. The problem is, for me, it was fried foods. My mother fried everything from okra to you name it. And it was really, really an incredible thing that, I mean, that I ever realized vegetables didn't have cream on them. <laughs> I mean, really. And, and that's how I was raised. It was just high fat, high fat, you know. And to this day, you know, you could, you could offer me all the cookies in the world, but a basket of onion rings, I'd kill you for it. So, really, I've lost my 100 pounds and maintained that off just basically by not eating fried foods. Pretty, pretty much so. That's, yeah. You know, and um, so... Um, and, what, and then I did all the diet stuff. Every, you know, I, I did the trend thing. Um, whatever Harvard was saying, whatever university was in the paper saying, this is how you lose weight, I would do it. And that was during the 70s because I graduated from Venice High in 69. And so in the 70s, I did the trend things. I went and paid $25 a week to bend over and have cow urine put in my ass because Harvard said that if you take pregnant cow urine shots, that that will somehow freeze up your fat cells or do something to it. So then I would hurt so bad. 
when I bent over and had that shot, I'd go around the corner and go to Baskin Robbins because I felt so bad. And I, I paid that money out for, I, I probably went into, you know, it's amazing how much money I paid out. I, not only insanity, but I also bought expensive ice cream. You know, so I mean, I just, to this day, I have money in the bank. I actually own a townhouse. I have a, a, a car and I pay my debts because I don't, I don't buy food or I don't do diet programs. I'm not, that's one thing this program relieved me of. It just finally said, this is it. I mean, I may not have always done it well, but I'll tell you what, this has always taught me to have enough sense to say, this is it. You know, I believe that every day is a new start for us. And um, I, I don't eat in my car. That's part of my abstinence. I, have, I think a- abstinence has to be a frame of mind, too. Um, I don't like standing up and eating over the kitchen sink. You know, I mean, that's not a good thing. I have to sit down and, and, and eat and use utensils. Somehow, things eating in the car that just never gets on my food list. I don't know about you. It just disappears. I don't know what happens to it. It just goes off in the clouds, you know, in the food heaven or something. And, you know, and then I look at the bag and wonder where the hell it went. Well, I was too busy making sure I didn't hit anybody and I consumed the food and didn't even enjoy it. So I, I have to sit down and really plan that kind of focus on wherever, you know, whatever I'm consuming. Um, you know, and I did the cow urine thing, and, you know, I, I, I sit back and often think that Dan Rather will probably start doing a report on the news talking about that I'll start growing hoofs. You know, that all this stuff will catch up with you somewhere down the road, you know, all this crazy stuff. I mean, look at the femfem. I mean, people were, I mean, actually died from that stuff, you know. And now you can sue them and, because your heart's damaged and stuff like that. So there, there you go. So I'm, I'm waiting for the cow hoofs to grow, and then I'm going to be in a meadow under a full moon just eating the grass. That, that's what I'm going to do. So, um, you know, and then I, I did the Weight Watcher years. I call those the WW years. And I, I can tell you every meeting that I went to here in West L.A., that was a, that was, that's so funny. Every time I drive, I can think of And w- when I want to tell people how to get around West L.A., I tell it by restaurants. <laughs> that's a sign of a compulsive overeater because I don't, remember, I don't know. I don't describe Orange County through restaurants anymore. I mean, that's interesting, but when I talk about Los Angeles, I can tell you, la, 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 la. So, I mean, it, that is an interesting variation of my recovery. When I tell people how to get to Orange County now, I mean, I don't, I don't have to use, oh, and you'll see this restaurant. That, that, that's kind of an interesting gem on that, too. But I, I went to Weight Watchers, and, I, you know, I changed my name. As if I, every time I joined, I changed the identity, and they'd always give you those recipe cards. And um, the, it was the last thing I need to be was in the kitchen. You know, really think about it. And then I get on that scale, and, I, and then I'd have to do the strip before every meeting. Does everybody know the strip? You take off the watch, the earrings, the glasses, and then you pray for the line to the restroom to get down so you can do that. And I put myself through that humiliation. And then, and then of course, you'd always have that gal when you gain 20 pounds on that scale say, "Are you on your period?" And you just you play that like. Oh, I think it's getting ready to start, look, you know. And I wanted to slug her every time because I knew I wasn't being honest and she knew I wasn't being honest. And it was like this just consistent game of insanity. And that's how it was. It was just this consistent game of insanity. Then I gave birth to that 18-year-old boy that graduated from Los Alamitos High School just the other night. I gave birth to him, and I thought I had created the worst thing that could ever happen. I didn't have that motherly bond. I hated my child. You know why I hated him? Because he just wouldn't let me be a compulsive reader. He demanded my time. And I really, to this day, 
it took me a very long time to bond with my son, and he was four months old when I came in this program, and I want you to know today when he got his diploma, it was one of the most incredible moments of my life. And I may have said I was free at last, but nobody would have been so proud. And he is a wonderful student. He's going on to college. He's on the honor roll. He's going to play football. And, you know, this kid has just been the light of my life. And, um, you know, God closes one door and he opens another window for us all the time. And I really believe that he was the angel that had to have me realize I had to grow up and be responsible. So what happens, I just bring home this little kid, and I'm miserable. I'm eating bags of M&Ms, and, and I'm weighing over. I can't, even zip, I can't even zip my maternity pants. I can only fit in one blouse. And, and, and you know the scale that the doctor's office has? And, it, and the big blocks on the top? And then there's the little creatures on the bottom. Now, we've all been on those scales, right? And they move the blocks, and it sounds like the bells of Notre Dame on the top, and they go, kakum. Cocoon. And then the little screecher goes, <laughs> you know, it's amazing how loud that got when I was standing there. And then, and that nurse started me out at 150 pounds. And I thought, well, she's optimistic. I even I knew, you know. And then she looked at me and she went to 200. Clunk, clunk, clunk. And then there was nowhere else to go. And I, to this day, I know I weighed a lot more than, um, you know, 325. I could tell you that right now. When I went in the hospital to get deliver my son, I was 338, and I didn't lose that pregnancy weight. I mean, there was nowhere to go. I was at the end of the road. You know, so um, my doctor recommended Overeaters Anonymous. Isn't that amazing? He could have sold me on a fast. He could have given me pills. He said, go to Overeaters Anonymous, and he has a doctor in Seal Beach. And I said, I cannot handle another weight group again. And so he said, this is not... This is not, not like, it's not like what you've been doing, Denise. This is okay. So I went to my first meeting, my first OA meeting on May 23rd, 1984. And wouldn't you know, I would pick the meeting at the Long Beach Naval Hospital in the city of Long Beach on Carson Avenue right off the 605. And I went there and I showed up. And I was, there was probably 40 people there. And out of that 40, there were three other women besides myself. Now, isn't that a unique meeting unto itself? Because really, and that's my first OA meeting, and I was clueless. And so I sat down, like every good new OA person, and I had a secretary greet me, and everything was fine and dandy. And then, to this day, after going to this program for over 18 years, I heard and still heard and still rates the worst speaker I have ever heard in Overeaters Anonymous. This would be my first speaker. He was a fellow in the Navy, been in program only two weeks, two weeks, hadn't lost any weight, but because this was in the Navy facility, and this is where Betty, Betty Ford got straightened out, right? So anyway, so this was geared just to OA people, and it's all these military guys that are being forced to be in this program because they're in a higher rank, and if they don't lose weight, they get kicked out of the Navy, but the Navy's invested all this training in them, so they don't want to lose them, so they're here in this 12 test program. This guy, I want you to listen to what I listen to as a newcomer. So be glad I'm here tonight. I listened to the, how this guy's wife was a bitch. He hated his kids and he hated the goddamn Navy. And I heard that for 45 minutes. 
Boy, was I enlightened. I could not get out of that room fast enough. And then you were all going to hold hands and do the Lord's Prayer. And that's when we were doing the Lord's Prayer. And I thought, oh my God, it's a religious cult with a bunch of Galoot sailors. And I'm getting out of here. This is nuts. I mean, I was ready for Wayne Watchers. This is what this program had done for me. Okay, I could go strip again and go away. And I got to the elevator. And as all federal buildings are, and if you deal with anything with the federal government, it's slow, as all elevators are. So I'm on the fourth floor of this naval hospital, and I'm hitting that button. And all of a sudden, the room I have left, the doorway completely gets blocked of the light. And I'm standing there at the elevator, and this fella yells at me, you forgot the most important thing that you get at these meetings. Now, I want you to think about this fellow that was pointing this out to me. He had a T-shirt, and on that T-shirt it had an eye, a heart, love, number two, two, and a screw that you put in the socket. So I want you to really give that some deep thought. And he's yelling at me, I have forgotten the most important thing that you can get at these meetings. He's getting closer, and as he smiles, his teeth are gone. As he gets closer, he's got a pack of cigarettes in his shoulder, worn out thongs, and the hairiest body God could ever put on this earth, you know. He's getting closer. He's closing in, and the elevator doors are not opening. Dun-dun, dun-dun. He's getting closer. He's getting closer, and I'm standing there going, why is this man going to bother me? What's the screw and I want to get in the elevator and all of a sudden within seconds he looks at me and he goes you know you're going to leave without your hug my nose goes in his armpit and I go oh my god because this guy was a gorilla the worst B.O. smell of cigarettes and within seconds my friends within seconds this fellow Doug changed into an angel his hairy arms begot wings. He became heaven sent just within a matter of seconds. And that hug would transform me forever. And I knew then and there that I had found a home. No matter what happened to me, who I was, or what I was about, that I was 32 years old. I'm 50 today. And that man made me realize that 32 years old what I had been missing. And that had been approval and love and caretaking. And I had been the caretaker and taking care of everything else except Denise. And I had lived everything in my life as a complete lie. And he stood back for me and he said to me, he goes, I sure hope you come back next week. I'm going to tell my story. And my name is Doug. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I look forward to seeing you next week. I remember driving home, and I distinctly remember I <laughs> I had this, I honestly got I had an old gremlin that could hardly run. You know, I had this brand new baby, and I had a miserable husband, and who, I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was that marriage where all we did was walk down the aisle and ate the cake, you know, and then he drank to boot. So, I mean, it was just, you know, whoever could isolate the best and not talk, you know, I mean, it was just that kind of relationship. Lo and behold, you know, um, 
I came, I, you know, of course, and then I, I became, you know, that OA, compulsive OA person who had to have it 100%. So I sponsored a 1,000 people, lost 90 pounds in two minutes, and, um, you know, just thought for sure I'd be the opening speaker at the next convention. Well, lo and behold, I have not had the perfect abstinence. I have not had the perfect road of recovery. And I, I go and do a lot of speaking with another woman who has been one of those people who have had 28 years of perfect back-to-back abstinence. And every time she says that, I want to kick her shins. And then every time I share that I've got 28 30-day chips, she wants to turn around and kick my shins. <laughs> but, you know, we love each other. And I, and it service is how I met this woman. We have become incredible friends, and I can only tell you one of the best tools you can have besides abstinence is service. And if you have service and you have a lot of it, it keeps you afloat. It's one of the best lifeboats I can recommend because, you know what, sometimes I think, golly, why did I do that? I, I I had somebody call me up from the Skibby Intergroup, and they said, will you arrange a relapse group, and will you get the speakers? And I thought... I just don't want to be responsible for anything. I said, okay, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. And then all of a sudden, you know, before you know it, I had a great day. I'm glad I did it. Saw a bunch of people I've known for years and years. You stick around this program long enough, you're going to bond with a lot of people. Trust me, it's great. It's great to see the people that you've, you know, I mean. And um, so that that's one of my uh, tricks of the trade. You know, I'm not going to pull anything out of my hat. Sometimes you just got to bite the bullets, folks, on this program. If you have a relapse, don't be afraid of it. It's not the end of the world. Trust me, I've lived through them. And, I'm, you know, if there's another one in the future, I know I can live through that, too. The problem with me is that I get overwhelmed, and then I don't ask for help. Go figure. I mean, and I'll give you an example of what was going on and overwhelming. I was doing Region 2 work. The chair decided to go to Europe, so the vice chair had to become the chair, so that meant me. And then I was dealing with all that. Then, my mother decides to die, so I had to deal with all that. Then when I was trying to make sure she got medical care, like Medi-Cal, you know, Medicare, all this stuff, whatever she's entitled to. My father is 83. He has lung cancer. So I just, like, step in with this big S on my chest instead of, like, saying, no, I can't do all this. No, no, but I'm working, taking care of a high school, grad, future, you know, just thinking, oh, I can do all this. Well, that's when I always get in trouble. It's I'm doing too much. I'm doing way too much over my head, over my head. I should have right then and there when I realized my mother was going to die. I resigned from Region 2 work. I should have done this. I, the the should-haves. And what I'm trying to learn for most of you is, well, don't wait for the should-haves. I'm and every time I get a shoulda, I get a new chip. So I shoulda, shoulda, shoulda. So don't shoulda, you know, talk to your sponsor. And my sponsor said to me, she goes, well, I kept thinking, why this was really amazing how well you were doing. But it doesn't sound like you are doing it like six months later, you know. And then after I found out my, somebody was using my father's Social Security number while my mother was in the hospital so we couldn't get her benefits. So it took, you know, my mother died two days before they finally got her all her benefits. <laughs> In the meantime, my dad's cashing out in this convalescent home, and we're, like, begging my mother to live. And, oh, and then, the month before my mother dies, I have this Labrador dog. I am a dog. I, I become one of those people. I always swore when I got this dog, I would never be one of those dog people. You know, it talks to the baby like it's a child. You know, show dog pictures. I swore I would never do that, and I became a dog person. You know, and I got this lab. And it was one of these labs that had been put in a dumpster, and I, you know, and the, and they told me not to adopt him. They said he was too sick. He had kennel cough. He had mange, and he was this maldeformed dog. And they said, don't adopt him. He's too ill. 
And I said, well, what are you going to do with them? And they said, well, we're going to have to put them to sleep. And I said, you're not killing my dog. You know, and again, I run out and I take care of this dog. And wouldn't you know, this dog is like all screwed up. And I, I adopt this screwed up dog and had all these problems with it. And what do they say to me? My dog pops his knee out the month before my mother dies. And they tell me that it's going to cost me $1,000 to put this kneecap back in my dog's leg. <laughs> so I, I put my, I said, I can't have, I told the vet, I said, look it. I go, this may sound really crazy, but my mother's on the verge of dying. You know, the hospice was taking care of her. I'm going crazy trying to get, you know, her, somebody to pay for her care that she's entitled to, trying to get this clown that's using my dad's Social Security off. You know, I'm, I've got three things going on. And I looked at this vet, and I grabbed him. I said, my dog cannot be put to sleep. This dog is going to live, you know, or you're going to put me to sleep along with the dog. <laughs> and he's like, okay, okay, your dog will walk. And I said, okay, I'm going to have faith in you. I know this dog's going to walk. I put my master charge down, and I said, he better walk. <laughs> and away we went. And, you know, I just got this great friend, Kobe the dog. And we named him after Kobe Bryant, you know, my son and I, because when we got him when Kobe was just hit the Lakers, you know. so. And when we cheer for the Lakers and watch the Lakers games, this dog goes crazy because they're going, go, Kobe. <laughs> but, you know, so anyway, so my dog. Then we bury my mother. Oh, and September 11th happened, too. I couldn't believe I was at Forest Lawn the morning of September 11th arranging my mother's funeral. I cannot tell you how weird that was. And Forest Lawn was like a three-ring circus. And I kept thinking, what is it with my life? And I, finally I said to the gal, what is going on? She says, well, we're shipping our uh, morticians out to New York. Because the body count. And, I mean, you just had the realization of how the magnitude of that and it had just happened that morning you know it was like 8 something in the morning and there I was my appointment at Forest Lawn to arrange for my mother's funeral was at 10 and I mean I'm, I'm watching Forest Lawn and just turmoil and I mean it's, that was such a profound thing for us as Americans then you know I mean I got my life is a three ring circus right and I wonder why you know and it's like I use that excuse I'm not going to go to the meeting tonight I'm too tired I had to go you know, and of course I did this thing where I went to see my mother at the hospital twice a day. And she finally, I mean, she, she lost her mind. She went crazy. Dementia set in so fast. Why didn't I go to the meeting and take care of Denise? You know, there it is. There it is. You know, and then they told me I needed a hysterectomy. I had a tumor about the size of a baseball. And so I looked at them and I said, you've got to be kidding I cannot have surgery now. So then they said, okay, we feel you're not emotionally stable to go through a hysterectomy. Well, that's a good one, you know. Okay, so then, I mean, do I sound like a country western song or what? <laughs> they give me steroids and birth control pills. Now, I've gone through the change of life and asked me how excited I was and how happy I was on that. And then they give you steroids, and I don't know if anybody's dealt with steroids and birth control pills at the same time, I was a psycho. I was like off the walls. And then I gained 30 pounds from steroids and the birth control combined. And I started crying, and I kept calling my sponsor crying and going crazy, going crazy. And I said, I can't go to meetings. I feel so bad. I feel so terrible. And she said, for God's sake, Denise, give yourself a break. And this is what I'm here to say to all of you. You've got to give your, your human beings, you know, 
and I just felt like I had to have this image that I had to portray here. I don't know why, you know, I'm sure that your last dying breath will be of me, you know, but I am so self-focused and so self-centered about me, and I just thought all of you would be disappointed in me. But, you know, gee whiz. I mean, I had quite circumstances beyond my control, you know, and when was I going to give myself a break? But, you know, it's the voice. You know, do you have the voice, the voice that just you are not good enough, the voice that never says anything, never gives you a break, you're not 100%, you're not, you know, and you make your life black and white, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, so I buried my mom uh, uh, just a few days before Christmas. She died on the 19th buried her on the 23rd and even that we we wanted to bury her before Christmas Eve and so Forrest Lawn honest to God everybody else had the same plan we're burying all their loved ones at the same day and we actually had traffic jams in Forrest Lawn I, I, I mean I thought this was amazing you know, I mean, I couldn't believe it. There I got this dog that's gimping around from knee surgery. You know, I'm taking steroids. I mean, I, I thought I was going to lose my mind right there in the, you know, <laughs> the car. And then there's, like, this incredible letdown. My mother finally died, and I, I spoke at her funeral, and I said, you know, this is what she wanted. You know, I mean, there was no arguing with this gal. There's, she was determined to go this way. There was no turning around. She said, I've had my life. I've had it. This is it. I want out. <coughs> And my dad had lung cancer, and I really don't think she wanted to watch him go. So I think this was just kind of her way of beating. I really don't think she wanted to watch him die. And um, But I was angry with her. I had a lot of resentment toward my mom. You know, I just thought, God, you know, you're bailing out on everybody here. But, you know, it's her choice to bail. And I, you know what? I, I've worked this out. I've worked with my sponsor. I've done a lot of work on this, a lot of writing. And I find myself forgiving and letting go. And that's, that's a big step for me because that was, in, you know, we're talking six months now. And, you know, things don't heal either because, you know, I came with my mother's voice. You know, the voice I talk about, the voice that I'm not good enough and this and that. And I'm telling you why every time I walked in, my mother may have been losing her marbles with that dementia, but she still was brutally honest and told me all the disappointments I were as she was dying. Instead of saying, Denise, I love you, or, you know, you know, let's, you know our last few days together, no, 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 we had to just you know, hash over all the pain that I had done to hurt her. And, um, again, that was just really hard for me to share. I couldn't tell anybody about that pain. It was even hard for me to tell my sponsors. It was even tired. You know, have you have a, I have an OA click, and I couldn't tell them. It was, just, it was almost like I kept it all in. And I really did a lot of emotional isolating, and I didn't realize how far gone that gets you when you're in a lot of pain. I don't know if anybody's experienced that, but, I mean, there I am. Um, in fact, they asked me to do a grieving workshop up in um, the convention and, and talk about that because I don't think we do talk about grieving enough and how to deal with that here in this program. I, I mean, it's not a topic that's been intent. Okay. I, okay. Okay. So anyway, well, let me wrap up here. Um, I want to talk to you about your higher power and, and that thing and, and that kind of deal on that. Um, you know, I had gone through a pretty big relapse and I went to the Grand Canyon and I had I was weighing over 300-something pounds again, and I had managed to put all my weight back on that I started in. And um, my son was five, and I was married at the time, and we decided we wanted to ride the jackasses to the bottom of the canyon. Well, believe it or not, they have a weight limit on the donkeys. I mean, who, who would think? Because they have backpacks, and they have all this stuff, and they put you on. 
So you have to be under 200 pounds to ride the mules down to the Grand Canyon. So we, and it's hotter than hell, and it's dusty, and we got a million Chinese tourists behind us, and they're all going off. And a lot of confusion. I finally get up to the front of the line with the donkeys, and my kids all bouncing all around, thinking we're going to see the bottom of the canyon. And Fester, the guy from Gunsmoke, now runs the mule train down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, and Fester looks at me and uh, informs me there is a weight limit for the mules. Now, tonight, Fester is in Williams, Arizona, in a bar, telling my story about the stupid bitch that insisted on riding a donkey. And he says, you'll expire the donkey. What do you mean expire the donkey? A magazine expires. The credit cards expire. Donkeys don't expire, right? I mean, donkeys, what do you mean a don- I could kill a donkey? I mean, wouldn't that have been an immense... You know, did you see that? The animal rights group standing at my front door saying, you killed a donkey. I mean, think about the magnitude of me riding on that donkey. So anyway, so, I mean, I got so mad. Well, what did, um, my kid was crying. The ex goes, takes the kid to the, I don't know what they did. I went to the gift shop, and in the gift shop they had rows of candy bars. You know how they display it so nicely and neat in rows. I grabbed candy bars, and wouldn't you know how, I, I don't know how many, but I grabbed a bunch. And I remember giving them like a $20 bill, and I didn't get a whole lot of change back. I, and they put them in a brown bag. And I went to the park bench on the edge of the Grand Canyon to sit down. And I looked, and I looked out there. And I was sitting on there, and I ate all those candy bars. And I mean within seconds. And I cannot tell you what I ate. What, what they were. I can't tell you if they tasted good or tasted bad. I can't tell you the texture, but I can tell you there were a lot of empty wrappers around my lap, and there was this brown bag next to me that was empty, and I was pissed off that it was empty. I was resentful that I didn't taste them, and then all of a sudden I'm sitting in this hot sun, and all of a sudden this cool, incredible breeze comes and lifts my face, and I look up, as if it was fingertips on my face, and it was like it almost brought my face up. And I look up, and there among this incredible sunset were just every color that you can imagine of golds and reds, and it blended into the canyon. You can tell where the sky started or where the canyon began, except for the silhouettes of the trees. And the birds were chirping like we have right now, and you could hear just this incredible sound of nature, and it was very, very still. And I looked up and I thought to myself, oh, my God, how long am I going to keep coming to these meetings and acting as if I'm okay? How long am I going to keep up this charade? How long am I going to keep doing this? And I then in there asked God to help me. And I said, I will always, and I I did, I asked to be helped. And I said, I've got to learn to ask for help. And I need to put my pride aside. And it's still one of my biggest struggles because I think I can do it all. I don't know about you, but I think I'm pretty powerful. And I'm not. I am totally powerless. (laughs) Let me tell you, I am so incredibly powerless. And I watched that sunset, and I realized two things about me that I was going to accomplish. I was going to see the view, and I was going to taste my food. That was a commitment to myself. And I want you to know, I sit down now, and part of my abstinence, I say, no, you too, I don't watch TV. Don't have the television on. Part of my abstinence is only allowing myself 10 hours of screen time. Screen is movies, television, and computers. 
I don't do a lot of screen time because screen time keeps me from life. Screen time, for some reason, I just think of screens with food. I don't know what it is. You know, I, you know, watching Gunsmoke and eating popcorn was a big thing in our family, and it's lived with me ever since. You know, I, and abstinence is a frame of mind. And um, I can tell you today um, I managed to go up uh, 36 steps at Cerritos College to watch my son graduate, and I wasn't out of breath. I um, There's one thing is that I... Um, I have always kept exercise as a big part of my program. It's just not so much to get in shape. It's just for depression. I do have bouts of depression. I um, And um, I go and get professional help when I'm there. And I got a sponsor who loves me. And I said to her, I said, I don't feel I'm worthy to get up and talk to groups. And she said, Denise, all you got to do is tell them, well, this is how it is. And this is what my sponsor told me to tell all of you. It's kind of like I got behind and paid my rent. But I'm going to make amends and I'm going to start paying my rent. And I'm going to start working my program one day at a time. And all I can do is get better. Or I can allow it to get worse. I have a choice. So for today, for today and today only, I'm abstinent. And I'm a Denise, a compulsive reader who keeps coming back no matter what. I'm here to taste my food. I'm here to see the view. And the best view is that I have a fellowship of all of you who will may remind me that I need to realize I am a compulsive overeater no matter what. So thank you for my recovery. Without you, I wouldn't be here today. And I really, really appreciate all of your attendance and your participation in this program at whatever level you need to be at the time. Thanks again for letting me be a part of your life. So um, it's time for questions. Oh, come on. I didn't. <laughs> Don't leave me alone. Yes? Um, I know you say that um, abstinence is a frame of mind. I'm very good. Okay. Um, can you get a little bit more specific for you, how you came to what abstinence was for you? Okay. Um, I'm being asked to my more detailed information of my abstinence. Is that what I'm supposed to do is tell? Okay, good. Um, okay, for example, this morning, I... Um, I have three meals a day, but I do have two snacks in between. And um, and because of the medication I've been on until I have my surgery and things like that. So, um, I, for example, this morning I had a protein shake with a banana and um, two, wheat, two pieces of um, whole wheat toast that were 40 calories, and I put no spread on it. I just ate some dry toast, just offset the medication and then for lunch today I had a vegetable omelet and I used the egg beaters and I had you know a fruit salad with it and things like that and my son after my son's graduation I went and you know we went out to dinner it was a very late dinner and I didn't want to eat a lot it seemed heavy but I still needed a meal so I had um, vegetable soup you know, and another thing too, I'm really notorious of not wanting to I'm a real carbo person so I'm real notorious about not wanting fruit or vegetables, so four days a week I do a vegetarian thing. Just that helps a lot. Just to force me to realize I need to eat the healthier foods. You know, I, I'm kind of um, just a real pusher. You know, I, I can use any excuse in the world not to take keep keep well of myself. So, um, yes. Oh. 
Oh, well, I, I, um, I'm getting asked the question, um, how did my eating experience, I mean, my eating change after I got back from um, the Grand Canyon? Well, um, I got a sponsor, and uh, she and I talked about a food program, and it changed. And, you know, I, um, I did omit not only the fried foods again, but I did take out a lot of the sugar stuff and things like that. So that changed, too. And then I'll ha ask this question. Yes. Thank you. Um, what do you do for energy? Well, I'm being asked, what do I do when food isn't your entertainment source? Well, you know, I was trying to think of what I used to do before my son graduated high school, before my son was in my life. And I remember going to West L.A. here on Lincoln to a disco named Big Daddy's. I don't know if I'm dating anybody here. Oh, my God, I'm so old. Anyway, so they had this disco where Kinko's is on Lincoln there in the marina. They used to have this disco called Big Daddy's, and it was three levels. I used to disco. And I thought to myself, Denise, that's what you used to do before your son came along. You danced. You had fun. So I thought to myself, well, let's see how this works. And I went and put a Donna Summer album on. And I'm, I, I mean, now I really too feel I need a hip replacement. Obviously, my disco days have, I need to do something else besides disco. But, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of in a transition now. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lose my dad this year. My dad is um, very ill with cancer. Um, I, I have to face that and, and settling a state. Um, that's, uh, I'm going to face a surgery. So um, do you know what I'm doing a lot now is that I find myself going to a lot more meetings. And I'm very involved with Overeaters Anonymous. I'm involved with the convention. I did the clothes collection down here. I do a lot of what I call low-key service. Nothing that takes any brains. That's what I want to do now. Coffee person, that kind of thing. You know, nothing, nothing that really is stressful. You know, you know, nothing with big guns or anything like that. So, I mean, that's and that does. And I got the speakers for that meeting. So, I mean, I find my fellowship pretty good, and I, I hang around with a lot of OA buddies and stuff. And I'm not saying, you know, we come here anonymously, so you know, that's that's kind of a, a double edge. But um, I, I've been really involved with momhood. You know, that was a big part of my life, and now he's just like saying. You know, so that's okay. That's the way how it's supposed to go. I'm glad that he's going out the nest. So that's what I do for, you know, I mean, I'm, I do go, I'm really involved with programs. So, I mean, that, that fills up a lot of lonely space. And I, I, I do have a boyfriend, but he lives in Palm Springs. But I like it that way. So, you know, when we see each other, it's really great. And then when we part, oh, I miss you, I miss you. And then if we spend a long-term time together, we're ready to kill each other. So it just works out great. And I'm actually very happy in the relationship. So that's good. Yes. Um, you mentioned something about depression. Um, I'm 28 years on another program. Uh, I and you mentioned something about medication, mood elevators. I often say that I would be my normal weight if I could take mood elevators because I find that food for me is a total tranquilizer, mm -hmm. which is a, an upper. And I was wondering uh, when you said you get depressed, uh, do you? You know what? I was, I've was i always been opposed to that, but they felt I was, after my mother passed away and I was crying a lot and things like that, my doctor recommended me, but I'm actually, because I'm taking steroids and birth control pills, they were very, 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 I'm, I've, I've never taken as many drugs as I have the last couple of, the last six months. In fact, it's really frightening, but I have, um, I was on the mildest one there was, and they say there was, there would be some weight gain with that, but I, I actually, it, I, 
I didn't notice anything because I'm actually feeling big spurts of happiness. Big spurts, yeah, with passing the greedy. Right, 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 right. So anyway, right, yeah, but I mean, um, I did. T- I am on antidepressants, but I'm down to where I'm taking them one every four days. So I mean, but that's again something up to your doctor, and I think you also need to talk to your sponsor about it and things like that. And I was all the time my mother was dying. My doctor kept asking me if I wanted them because they felt that I wasn't, you know, kind of screwy. But and I was. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, that's again something that's a, you know your doctors, your sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, hey, that's good. <laughs> yeah, but I also you know, and I have been seeing a therapist for the um, loss of my mom and working out some issues on that because I'm you know I mean, sometimes your sponsors are just like stumped. I mean, <laughs> you know, these people only work the 12-step programs, too, and they all could come in with their luggage, too, and you can't, you know, I mean, I would really, you know, come off left field with my poor sponsor, and she'd say, well, I'm not quite sure how to answer that, and sometimes that was the most honest thing she could do for me, so, and I have a sponsor that's been in program with um, 17 years of back, back-to-back accidents, and I love her, you know, get who you need, you know, so, and that's what I do for my program. Do we have any more questions? Or? Another minute. Another minute. Yes. How do I connect with my higher power, and how does my higher power show up in my life? My higher power shows up in my life every day. You know, I mean, I feel my higher power got me here today. I mean, my higher power, you know, um, puts the right people in my life at the right time. I mean. I remember when I was trying to get my mother approved for Medi-Cal and I was working with the Medi-Cal people. Finally, I said to this woman, and it was because of this program, I said to her, I said, you know, this is just overwhelming for me. Can we do something to override this? This isn't fair that, you know, my dad's been a veteran and paid his taxes and he's 83 years old and he's got lung cancer. Can we just get this thing going? You know, I can't help it if somebody sold a social security number. And, you know, this woman, she she went to bat for me. She and I kind of feel that, that God works through people and circumstances and things that happen. You know, I mean, I, I just really do. And my dad fell and cracked his pelvis. And, you know, there was just that right, I called him. And he said, Denise, I'm in trouble. And, you know, I, it was a slow day at work. And God made sure that I had a slow day at work. And, you know, so, I mean, miracles happen every second of my life. It's just that if we're in our disease, we don't appreciate it. So, you know, I mean, I got up this morning and saw the view. And I sat down and ate my food and I tasted it. So we're done. We're, we're, we're finished, right? Well, hey, thanks a lot. Keep coming back.